Oh, gracious and merciful God. We were reminded of your beauty and of your grace and of your faithfulness. We praise you for your son, our, our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he will hold us fast. Oh God, we thank you for giving us your word that you would reveal yourself to us through your word. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us now that we would see the exalted Christ, that we would see all the full provision of Christ that is granted to us, the believer. Father, we thank you that you are the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to rest and to trust in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we have the honor and privilege to make it to a portion of Scripture that is perhaps one of the most favorite portions of Scripture for many believers. It is a passage that is one of the go-to passages for vocation Bible schools. It is a go-to passage for Sunday school curriculums. And on what is so-called Christian merchandise, it is a go-to passage. Tragically, however, it is one of those foundational passages that arguably is the least applied in the daily life of the believer. If you are here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, and you have been a believer for any length of time, you have come to conclude that the Christian life is hard to live. As a matter of fact, in our strength, the Christian life is impossible to live. It would be like a branch being cut off from a vine and still trying to produce fruit. It would be like an arm being severed off the body and still trying to do work. It is impossible to live the Christian life in our own strength. It must be lived out in the Lord's strength. Would you turn with me to this glorious part this glorious passage in scripture in Ephesians chapter six. This morning we will be reading from verses 10 through 20, but we will be studying only verses 10 through 13 this morning in a sermon titled, The Lord's Strength. If you are able this morning, would you stand to honor the public reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the word may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So reads God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Please be seated. So we need to recall some basic hermeneutical skills when we go to understand the Bible, that we must always look and understand and interpret the Bible within context, within its immediate context, within the book we're reading, in the fullness of that book, and within all of Scripture. It is a danger just to jump into one area of Scripture and try to interpret it without its context. Well, in this closing part of Ephesians, we must remember all that has already been commanded of the believer. In, in chapters four, all the way through where we are right now, the apostle Paul has given imperatives. Those imperatives are the things that we are commanded to do as believers. But we must understand that those imperatives always rest on the indicatives in scripture of who we are in Christ. And I know week after week we have been taught this and we have heard this over and over again that in the first three chapters, Paul lists all of these indicatives of who we are in Christ Jesus. That is foundational. That we must put that on the forefronts of our mind. That we would know that God the Father has chose us. He has adopted us. He has accepted us. That Christ the Son has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has revealed God's will to us. And he has made us part of God's inheritance. And the Holy Spirit has sealed us and has guaranteed our future blessing. Now, just cherry-picking some of these opening indicatives, if you would go back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We have heard this read over and over again as we have studied through this letter. But my hope this morning as we land here again in Ephesians chapter 1, that this would stir your holy affections for Christ once again, Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse three, we read, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. If you are a believer here this morning and you have the spirit of God within you, that should stir your affections for Christ, your position that is in Christ. You are no longer who you used to be. You are now in Christ. Paul the Apostle goes on to build this mindset amongst us in chapter 2. Perhaps some of our favorite passage lies right in here. Look at chapter 2. You were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is all who we were before Christ. But what Paul is painting the picture of is who we are in Christ. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul paints the picture of the believer. He paints the position of the believer that we are in Christ now. He then continues in chapter two and into chapter three, and he talks about how God has made one people for himself, one people of Jews and Gentiles who are now one in Christ. And so in all those opening chapters, he is elaborating on the amazing reality of who we have been made afresh in. We are now in Christ Jesus. And then starting in chapter four, he then starts giving these imperatives. Now that you are in Christ, now that you're no longer your own, but you are Christ, here's how you are to live. And so 
Five times the Apostle Paul uses the verb walk. This means this is how you are to live now as a Christian. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4. The Apostle Paul writes, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. As Paul begins chapter four here, he's speaking of things that we don't naturally do in the flesh. He's speaking of things that must be done in Christ. And he continues this idea of of walk. This is how you are to live. Look down to verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. He writes again, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He, He goes on and basically explains, you're not to walk as you used to do. You're no longer an unbeliever. We're no longer to live like unbelievers. Flipping over to chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He continues there and says, walking in love means that we will have nothing to do with sexual immorality. That walking in love means we'll have nothing to do with impurity. That walking in love means we'll have nothing to do with uh, covetousness. And that not even those things would be spoken of amongst us. He continues in chapter 5, verse 8, and says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, walk as children of light. What does that mean? It means live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. One last time, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All of these commands to walk in a way that is worthy of God, all based upon of who you are in Christ. The question has to be asked, how do we do all of this? I mean, how do we fulfill all of these things? Over and over again, walk, walk, walk. And it's about walking in righteousness, about turning away from evil, about not yielding to sin. How do we do this? Well, here's where we find ourselves this morning. We find ourselves in this final charge from Paul where he makes it very clear that God supplies every resource needed to fulfill every command that he's given. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Chapter 6, verse 10. We read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. 
Paul starts this final charge with the word finally. He is not saying in addition to. He's saying this final charge here is how all those other commands in chapters 4 onward, this is how they are to be fulfilled. If this final charge is not obeyed, then all the instruction on how to live as a Christian in the previous verses is impossible to live out. Do you understand that? This charge is how to do it. The flip is also true. If this final charge is obeyed, then the believer can live victoriously in Christ in all areas of life. They can live in a manner that is worthy of the cross. So before we even continue this morning, let me ask you a question. Do you want to live in a manner that is worthy of the cross? Do you want to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? Now, we're all in church, so we know the right answer. We know it should be, yes, of course. But take it one level deeper. Do you really? Do you really? Do you really want to live a life that pleases God in every area? Because if you do, there's glorious news for all of us here in this passage this morning. It is here that God can and God will enable us to live a life pleasing to him, listen, in the most difficult areas of our lives. Are there difficult areas in your life? Or is everything just smooth? We know there's gonna be difficulty. There's gonna be tribulations in this world. And in those very difficult areas, we have the answer here in Ephesians chapter six of how to endure and how to please God in the midst of those difficult times. And I'll tell you this, as we see right here, it cannot be done in your strength and it cannot be done in my strength. As we will see, every single believer is in a battle. It is a cosmic war. It's incomparable to any other earthly war in history. And the battle, this battle, is a battle that you, in yourself, that me, in myself, that we do not have the resources to endure. But if you desire to please God this morning, you must cling to his resources that he gives you to stand victorious. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 again, Paul says not only this finally, this final charge that's coming, but he says, be strong. Here's another command, another imperative. He says, be strong. We are commanded to be strong. But we need to rightly understand this verse. First of all, this verse is present tense, which means we need to continue on to be strong. It means I can't say, well, last week or yesterday, 
this happen, or maybe I plan on doing it tomorrow or next week. It is a continual action to be strong. But it's also a passive verb in the Greek, which means that strength is to be found in the source of another. That that strength has to be acted upon the subject, which would be us. That we need to seek strength in another. This is not a self-supplied strength. It is not a, a suck it up and pull it together kind of strength. This is a strength that comes from the Lord. This is the strength of his power, his might. Many of us know when Joshua, Joshua is commanded by the Lord to be strong and courageous. The same thing. It wasn't Joshua, be strong in yourself. It was be strong, passive tense. Be strong in the Lord. Get your strength from another Some of you are familiar at the end of the letter of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, verse 13. We read, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. This is not beat your chest and stand there firm. This is understand that you cannot do it in your strength, that you need the strength of another. And we see who that other is. Now that command is to get from another source, and that source is the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. There's rhetorical emphasis there. It's intentional. It's this isn't about your strength. This is about God's strength. There's nothing that you're going to be successful in implementing in chapters four through six in a continual fashion of standing victorious in Christ if you're going to try to do it in your own strength. You're going to fail over and over and over again. And every time we fail and every time we fall short of the glory of God and we sin, it is because we try to stand in our own strength. The command is to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Paul, before he ever gets to all these commands for the believer in chapters four through six, he actually prays for the believers there in in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter three, verse 16, he prays that according to the riches of God's glory, that God would grant them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being. Before he ever tells them what to do, if this is how you're to live as a Christian, he says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you would be strengthened in the Lord so that you can do all that I'm about to tell you of how to please God, that your strength would be in him. Paul writes to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and says, you then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's saying your strength comes from another. It is the same for every believer everywhere. You know, to the believers, the Colossian believers, that, that letter opens up with a prayer that Paul prays for them. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, he prays that they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, that they would have endurance and patience with joy. I want you to think about that when you think about the difficulties of life. 
that they would have the strength to endure it, but not only endure it, but to endure it with patience and to endure it with joy. Try doing that in your own strength. Not going to happen. It is only through the strength of the Lord. The Christian life is a life where our own self-sufficient strength will not suffice. We must have God's strength. Asked you if you desire to live obediently. If you do, you've got to have God's strength. This is the first and most foundational command here in chapter six is first you need to find your strength in another and that other is the Lord. It's to be completely depleted on your own self-sufficiency and to turn as one who's weak and needs strength to the Lord. To know that we can do nothing apart from him. It is turning to him that he would give us the strength and the ability to carry out all that he desires for us to do. But not only does Paul give that command here in this final charge, he follows up with another command of how to do that. How do you get your strength in the Lord? How do you put on his strength and, and his might? And so if you would look with me to your Bibles, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 he gives us not only the how, but he gives us a reason of why we need the Lord's strength. He writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul connects the first command he had given to be strong in the Lord with this second command here, that we need the whole armor of God. And he describes why we desperately need God's armor. He says that every single believer is in a battle against the forces of evil. And this battle, it's a, it's a unique battle. It's unique because it's not a battle that we're trying to win because Christ has already been victorious in this battle. Christ on the cross has relieved, he's freed every believer. He's liberated them from the tyranny of all these evil powers. Our call now is to stand in that victory. Paul describes here that the enemy of our soul also has helpers and there's constant scheming that's going on against us and that scheming is to entice us in, according to our fleshly appetites to try to get us to act as a hater of God instead of a child of light. It's continually being dished up and served before us. Now, Ty did a great job this morning in, in declaring to us the truth of that we have an adversary. But do you know there are professing believers that don't think the devil is real? They don't think hell is real. I don't know how any professing believer who owns a Bible could say that the devil is not real. You know, it's scripture alone that is our source of truth. It's not the media. It's not the latest, you know, survey of American Christians or anything else. It is scripture. 
Scripture is the final arbiter in all things. And only God's word is infallible and inerrant. And from cover to cover, the devil is referred to as a real created being. 35 times in scripture, he is referred to as the devil, meaning slanderer or accuser. 52 times in scripture, he is referred to as Satan, meaning the adversary. Scripture refers to him as the tempter, the murderer, the liar, even the father of lies. He is described in scripture as a lion, a serpent, an angel of light. He's described as the God of this world, and even in this letter, the prince of the power of the air. And though he is a powerful foe, the devil and his forces are created beings under God's complete sovereign reign. So what does that mean for us? It means that we should be on alert, that he is scheming and he is plotting, but we should not be preoccupied with his existence. We need to know that he exists. We need to know what his plans are to get our eyes off the Lord, to get our eyes on ourselves and to get us to walk in a manner not worthy of the cross. For every believer, we stand in Christ's victory. There is victory over this enemy. But Paul warns us that this struggle that we're in, this wrestling that we're in, this, this battle is not with flesh and blood. It is a supernatural warfare. It's not against other people, though we often feel as though it is. We're gonna get into that in a little bit. We often think we're staring right at the enemy. Paul says it's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual field and this is what's going on behind the scenes, that there is an onslaught from the forces of evil and that is orchestrated by Satan himself. He refers to Satan and his helpers in verse 12 here as rulers, as authorities, as cosmic powers over this present darkness. He refers to them as spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I mean, that description alone should probably cause us some alarm, should perk our ears up. But he started this letter by saying that Christ reigns over all of them. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, he said that Christ is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That Christ is in control. And that we know Christ has triumphed over these forces of darkness. As a matter of fact, would you just turn with me, flip to the right in your Bibles to Colossians. I want you to look at a passage with me. Colossians chapter two, if you would turn a few pages to the right. Colossians chapter two, starting in verse 13. 
Paul writes, in you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is... A hallelujah. Christ reigns victorious over them. He has triumphed over them. But, here's the but, they are still waging war against him and against his people. No one can clearly describe all the rankings of these, these helpers of Satan. But what we understand is there is a layers of demonic helpers. Paul says, knowing this battle to be certain, knowing that this is going on, he commands everybody in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6, if you'd like to flip back. He commands everybody to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Another command to, to put on, it literally means to clothe oneself. It's something that you actively must do to put on the armor. So first, we need to get our strength in another, but now we're to be clothed in that same source's armor, to put on the whole armor. This is not a, a man-made armor. It's not some sort of resolve or fortitude that you just muster up and feel like I'm now strong. You're to put on God's armor. In the Greek, this word is panoplia. It means full armor. It's where we get our English word panoply. God, who is the divine warrior, clothes us in his full protection. Think about that for a minute. To put on God's full protection. The, the whole point here of putting this on is to enable us to withstand every attack of the enemy, that we would have God's strength, God's armor, and be able to withstand every attack of the enemy of our soul. Paul calls this standing. He says, stand, remain in place, do not give ground, do not be moved. You know, Satan is no longer in control of the believer. The believer has been turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. We read that in Acts 26, 18. But Satan continues to scheme and he continues to tempt the believer to act in their flesh and not according to the spirit. Now, a little sidebar when we sin, we do not say the devil made me do it. He has no control over you to make you do it. But he sure can dish up exactly what would tempt us. Tempt us. But he cannot make you do it. And if you have the strength of the Lord and the power of his might, guess what? You can resist every single time he comes at you. And every dart that he fires, when you have the armor on, you can stand. You do not have to fall into temptation. 
But know this, the devil, he is crafty. The Bible describes him as crafty, which means he studies us, which means he knows which buttons to push. He knows which fuses are short. His attacks are deliberate and his attacks are planned. We must have the Lord's strength. We must have his might and we must be clothed in his armor. We know the rest of the text as we read it this morning, Paul goes on and describes specific parts which are basically the fullness of Christ, that all our provision is in Christ. That he gives us everything we need to defend every attack of the enemy. Paul describes it here, that full provision as the armor, the whole armor. Now he wrote to the believers in Rome something very similar, but he said it's slightly different. Romans chapter 13, starting verse 12, I'll read it to you. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, listen, and put on the armor of light. He'll go and explain that. He says, let us not walk properly as, the, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, listen, this is Romans chapter 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the same type of language to put on, just like that put on the full armor is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have every resource that we need to live a life victorious, in Christ, we must live that life out through the power of his might, through the power of his spirit. That's why Paul writing to the believers, the Galatian believer says, I say this, if you walk by the spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. So to put on the whole armor is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to set your minds fully upon Christ and obedience to his will. Stop and pause and take a breath. Think about the last battle you were in. Most likely came via somebody that was really close to you and you were tempted to sin. Did you stand firm? Because if you put the Lord Jesus Christ on and you had his mind on you, meaning I am thinking of him and his glory and obedience to his will, you'll be strengthened to stand. But if you were thinking, man, I am really frustrated right now and I feel things boiling up in me and you still go with what's in the flesh, you will sin against our good and glorious God. We're to have this mind amongst us, which is also in Christ Jesus. We're to set our minds on things above, not things that are on the earth. How about this? We're to preach the gospel to ourselves. That's what Paul the apostle did in chapter two. We read it earlier. It was preaching the gospel to believers that we would be reminded of who we are in Christ, that we were bought with a price, the spilt blood of our Savior. And that his victory on the cross has freed us from the penalty and the bondage of sin. 
That we're to preach to ourselves and remind ourselves that we are a new creation in Christ. That we have a new identity. That we are now in Christ. And we're now to live for his glory. Not our comfort. Not our pleasure. Not our honor. But to live for his glory. We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means we also will suffer with him as we deny self. You think we need the Lord's strength? <laughs> Everything you hear, like, man, I don't think I like all that. That's going to be hard. It is impossible unless you have the Lord's strength. You must be constantly strengthened in him and the strength of his might. You must constantly be putting on the armor. Verse 13 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Here's another command in this final charge to take up. It means to take along, to always have the whole armor, not to put it down. Listen, there is no truce in the spiritual battle. There's no time out when you are tired. There's no throwing in the towel because you feel overwhelmed. If you keep putting on Christ, you will be able to stand. But if you don't put on Christ, if you don't draw upon the strength of the Lord, we have an enemy who's looking and scheming for the opportune time to attack. In the Lord's strength, he has no chance. But when we go back to our own strength, he has every opportunity to come after us. We must remain clothed in his strength, which means completely dependent upon him. To be dependent on him to withstand every attack of the enemy. It is then and only then that we will stand our ground. It's only then that we won't fall into sin. It's only then that our faith will not be tossed to and fro. James wrote something very similar. Many of you are very familiar with James chapter four, verse seven. He said, submit yourselves to God. Be subjected. Come under the power, the control of God. And then you'll be able to resist the devil and he will flee from you. You cannot do this on your own. It must be in the Lord's strength. We need the full armor. We need to take it up. Paul talks about the evil day. We know we live in an evil age, but he says this evil day, that then you'll be able to stand. And that evil day is debated, but it would seem in the immediate context here, it is speaking of that day when temptation to yield to Satan's attack is strong. It is then that we must stand. Paul's already mentioned back in chapter four, verse 17, that one of Satan's schemes is to exploit strained relationships. It is to capitalize on angry feelings between believers. Stop there for a second. Did you hear that? Paul's already written and warned. The one who is scheming is looking for strained relationships. 
He's looking where you're given over to anger. And that's where he is plotting and coming after. He says, don't be surprised when the battle surfaces. Instead, we're to be prepared. We're to be strengthened in the Lord. We're to have his armor on. We're to have the mind of Christ, the fullness of Jesus Christ. You know, when we talk about application in a sermon, Paul the Apostle has given us all the application here. Starting back in chapter 4, he laid out all the practical application needed of why we need to be in the Lord's strength, why we need his armor continually. I want you to think about this as you go back and you flip and go, is that true? And you're looking at chapters four and you're going on. Paul begins by talking about relationships in the church. He talks about the one another's that guess what? Even in a church amongst believers, there are going to be times that we wrong one another, that someone acts in the flesh and that being strong in the Lord and having the armor on, we're not going to revile back. We're going to forgive those just like we have been forgiven by Christ. We're going to love them like we have been loved by Christ. He also gives us examples, talk about practical application of, we can put it in the context of employer and employee. Do you get up in the morning and struggle about having to go and face your boss? If you're a boss here this morning, there are actually people that think that way. Got to face the boss. You're wondering how you're going to withstand against personality of that boss and the things they do and the behind the scenes things they're doing, you need to be strong in the Lord. You need to have the armor on. Are you the boss? You have employees that you're frustrated with? You feel anger creeping up within you? You must have the strength of the Lord and you must have his armor on. Otherwise, your witness is blown like that. And instead of living worthy of the cross, you live quickly as a hater of God. Now let's get really close to home, literally. Sadly, many of us think that our home is a safety spot. We think that the home is where we can go and kick up our feet, that we're in our own kingdom and we can take off our armor. Paul spends more time talking about the home than he does the other areas. I mean, stop and think. Where do you think the enemy is going to attack? Wouldn't it be the relationships that are most dear to you? So Paul gives practical areas of where we need to be continually strengthened in the Lord, where we always need to be putting on the Lord Jesus, and that we need to remember that the battle is not against flesh and blood. Are you a parent here today? If you are, do your children always lovingly and kindly submit to your authority? Do they always gladly go brush their teeth when you ask them to? Are there times that they act maybe a little more rotten than that and not as obedient? And you want to stand in your flesh and say, well, I'm your mom or I'm your dad and that's why? And then... What comes forward is sin. We must be strengthened in the Lord. We must have the armor on. Children, 
before you go, hi, you're talking about my parents. <laughs> Children, you have been spoken of in here as well. And you have been commanded to honor your mother and your father and to obey them. Are there times that you think they just don't know? They're just not that smart. I don't like what they're telling me to do. And then you are tempted to disobey. Children, you must be strong in the Lord. You must have the armor of God on at all times so that you can honor God at all times. Even if you say, well, they raised their voice to me, that you would honor the Lord Jesus in the way that you respond, that your service is unto the Lord. Paul spent most of his time unpacking marriage. And he spoke to husbands and said, husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. You are to cherish her. You are to honor her. You are to love her as your own body. Are there times that she does things that you don't like? Are there times that she may even do things that you think this just drives me crazy? Remember, the battle is not against flesh and blood. It is a cosmic warfare. And that the enemy of our soul knows how to use individuals to push buttons, to cause the fuse to run short. And so she is not your enemy. You are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're to make no provision for your flesh. You're not to say, but she did this and this and this and this, and so I must fill in the blank. You must honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are able to do that because of the strength of the Lord. When you think, I can't, all you are confessing is you're standing in your own strength. Because you can do all the things that God has commanded you through his strength. Wives, you are commanded to submit to your husbands, to honor your husbands. And I'm a man, and I will be the first one to admit to you, I'm a knucklehead. Like, I do dumb things. And I make dumb decisions. And my wife would be like, wait, this is the one I have to submit to? I have to submit to those decisions? She is to submit, and women, you are to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. It is not because your husband deserves it. It's not because he perfectly loved you as Christ loves the church. It's because your service is unto the Lord. And so when you feel like, I can't do this anymore, I can't go on, this guy is X, Y, and Z, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Because we think in our natural mind that this is between us when the reality is behind the scenes there is a battlefield going on. And it is to put our guard down and think it's this individual and this individual doesn't deserve for me to love them and respect them and honor them. You know who does? Do you know who does deserve 
that praise, who does deserve that respect, who does deserve that honor? Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives us all of this here, that we need the Lord's strength, that we have every resource that is necessary to live the Christian life victorious in Christ. It must be done in the strength of the Lord. Maybe you have wandered in here this morning and you have not professed the Lord Jesus as both your Lord and Savior, meaning you have not turned to Christ in repentance and faith. You are in a completely different battle this morning. The battle that you are facing is a battle for your soul. It's a completely different battle. It's a battle that you cannot win. And though you think you have the freedom to do all that you want, and you think that you are fine, the Bible says something different, that you are under the power of Satan, that you are in bondage to him, that he has blinded you to the truth about God, He has deceived you to think that you are okay just the way that you are. But God says something completely different. Word of God says that you are not a friend of God, that you're actually an enemy of God, that you, like the rest of us in this room, have sinned against a holy God, and that the wages of sin is death, that God is storing up wrath that will be unleashed on every sinner for all eternity. That you, though you think you're okay, in reality, you have broken God's commands. You've rebelled against the Holy One. You've rebelled against his authority. You've chosen to do it in your eyes, what is right in your own eyes, but not what is right in God's eyes. Do you understand the rebellion that's at place? Has the holiness of God awakened you to the reality of who he is? Because the good news is that Jesus Christ came to earth to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to save sinners just like you. Just like the rest of us in this room that would say we cannot do this on our own. But through Christ, we can. This Jesus who came to save sinners now bids you to come to him in repentance, which means turning away from you, turning away from your sins and turning to him and placing your entire trust in him alone. Placing no trust on what you think you have done or what you have accomplished or the quote unquote good things you think you've done in the sight of a holy God, but instead placing all of your trust on Jesus, on his sinless life, his substitutionary death on the cross, and his validating resurrection from the grave. You are asked to come to Christ to receive forgiveness of sins and the assurance of eternal life. And then you too will have access to all the resources of God to live a life that is pleasing in his sight then we would all be in the same place as those saved by grace, saved by a good and glorious God who has taken us from darkness and made us light so that we would shine 
for his glorious grace, that he would receive all honor and glory from our lives. I asked you when we started this morning, do you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly before you. We are so quick, oh God, to lean upon what we think is our own strength. So God, we come collectively unto you and ask you, God, to forgive us. To forgive us for trying to live this Christian life based upon self-sufficiency, self-reliance, knowing that this is a faith that Father, you, through your power, you drew us into it and you sustain us through it. Father, it is a faith that must be lived out in your strength. Father, even now we can think of the times that we have sinned, that we have given in and yielded to the temptation, to the spiritual warfare around us. No, God, we ask your forgiveness once afresh. God, we pray that we would not go on living and thinking that we can accomplish anything in our strength, but, oh God, that we would be completely dependent upon your strength. Father, I pray for strained relationships, whether they're within uh, saints in this church, between confessing believers within the church that there is division. Oh God, I pray that they would put on the Lord Jesus Christ and that there would be reconciliation. Father, I pray for homes. I pray that if there's any strained relationships within the home between parents and children, Father, that they would put on your strength, that they would be girded up with your armor, that, God, you would bring healing and restoration to their homes, and that you would help them to stand firm in your strength. God, I pray for the marriages of this church. I pray for husbands who, Father, have used many excuses of why she is not walking worthy of the gospel. Oh, Father, may you turn his eyes to Christ, that he stands accountable to you to walk in a manner worthy of the cross of Christ. Oh, God, that he would put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be strengthened in the Lord. Father, I pray for the wives in here that are thinking, well, you just don't know my husband. You don't know the things he, he does and says. And Father, that you would help these ladies to be strong in the Lord and the strength of your might, God. That they would stand firm, being clothed in your armor. Father, their minds would be redirected from the things of this earth to the beauty and the glory of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you that you have given us all things to live this life victoriously through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.